Hi, my name is Cameron Cole, and I am the Director of Children, Youth, and Family at the Church of the Advent, and this is Episode 5 of our Gospel Moments podcast microclass. And so we've been talking about six moments that every child will encounter um, you know, in their childhood and their adolescence, and how it is that we speak the Gospel into those moments. And so just to refresh you, I have uh, across the table from me... Tara Davis. Director of Children's Ministry in the Nursery. And Lucy Kate Green, Youth and Family Minister. Girls, uh, girls Senior High, uh, sorry, Girls Youth Director. That's your new title. There we go. <laughs> youth and I'm Rebecca Langford, and I'm also on the Youth Ministry team. I'm Tucker Fleming. I'm the Junior High Youth Director. All right, so today we're going to talk about shame and, excuse me, not shame, but success and failure. Um, We all know that over the course of a child's life, they're going to have some moments where they succeed. And that's a a blessing, right? It's a good thing. And a lot of times success is uh, is one of the worst things that can happen to us. Uh, You know, I I think that um, probably nothing corrodes my soul more than succeeding. On the other hand, we know that every child is going to fail. And this can be uh, you know, morally, this could be in terms of athletics or academics, but every child's going to fail, and and so they, you know, it's really two sides of the same coin. Because um, when our kids are living under the law, uh, then they, they, you know, there's kind of a dialectic, there's kind of a trap, when, and there's a curse when you live under the law. And the curse is this: when you're succeeding, you become arrogant. You think that you know your success is because you're so wonderful, um, but when you're failing, the other side of that is when you're failing, you think it's because you're worthless. And so, what we're going to do in a minute is we're going to talk about how we see at different age levels, whether that's you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, where it is that we see um, we see this dialectic of success and failure. Um, but before we do that, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of frame this conversation by, um, by sharing from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. And so here's what it says. He, uh, so Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So the audience is people who you know see that believe that because of their success or their performance that they are righteous, that they're morally good, that they're acceptable before God, and so it says that they treated other people with judgment. So it says two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed in this way: God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. So this guy is praying, and he's basically saying, God, thank you that I'm so good, and thank you that I'm not uh, morally depraved like this other guy. And so then he goes on to say, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his head to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the mount to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so you have 
the tax collector, on the other hand, who is before God, and he is contrite and humble and broken, and he is pleading for God to bless him with mercy. And so, um, and so with that being said, um, this is a good example with the Pharisee of, you know, what it looks like when our kids live under the law. Um, if when they succeed, uh, they are prone to think, you know, that they have created their own sense of worth, that their worth is a product of their performance. They generated it themselves. And so, you know, that's something only God can do. And so if, you're, if you think you've done something that only God can do, it, it naturally leads to arrogance. Um, and so on the other side of that, uh, the tax collector in his private moments, if he really messed up, we can imagine that he probably privately would have felt totally ashamed. And he probably would have tried to hide his failures because he couldn't handle uh, the guilt and the shame of his failures. And so he would have felt pretty low. And so he, he, you know, like I said before, you have this dialectic of if you live under the law, you'll either be arrogant or you'll be ashamed. It's, it's you know, that's just kind of how it goes. And so, um, and so in that failure, the sense is that you actually feel worthless. In the arrogance, you feel like you've created your own righteousness, your, your own worth. And in, in your failure, you feel like you're absolutely worthless. And so it's this, there's this instability and this pendulum. And so what we want is for our kids to live under the gospel and to live under grace. And that's what we see here as being lifted up and exalted by Jesus is the tax collector who knows that he's a sinner. He's clear on that. And he goes before God and asks God to have mercy on him. And so he knows that if he, so he's humble. And he knows that if he's going to be, um, if he's going to be made righteous or he's going to be justified, it's going to be because it's a gift from God. And so so he has that sense of worth, but it's worth that is from the Lord. It's not something that he's done. Um, yeah, and so there's a, he can have that sense of worth without being arrogant. And because he has the righteousness of Jesus, he is freed from, uh, he's freed from shame as well. So anyhow, so let's talk then for a second of where we see this dialectic of shame and failure. Um, Tara, would you mind sharing, like, where do you, where do you see it among, um, you know, with, with, with younger children, elementary age kids? Yeah, so um, in, you know, if we transport ourselves to a place where our children spend much of their days, that is at school, in a class where they are in groups of other children um, led by an adult. And oftentimes, um, just naturally or indirectly, an adult or a teacher, even parents can do this, will um, be praising for successes and pointing out failures and weaknesses. And so um, it's inevitable in task-based activities such as sports and school Um, there will be a goal set and students will either achieve that goal or not. And so it is, you know, black and white if they have made the success or not made the success, but oftentimes the adult is feeding into the narrative of um, you're either succeeding or you're not quite there yet. And children will often internalize that and then themselves feel like I am a success and have that arrogance or I am a failure and feel that shame. Thanks, Tara. Um, how about you, Lisa Kate? You work. You've historically worked primarily with um, middle school girls, mm-hmm. um, but you work with high school girls too. Uh, what would you? Sh- what would, where do you observe this? Yeah, 
With the junior high girls, um, I think about, you know, they all probably, at least the girls that we work with, um, have heard about sin, but this may be the first time that they are seeing really tangible examples of Mm. other people falling short, of themselves falling short. Mm. They may make a choice um, with a boy for the first time that is, you know, not meeting the standards that they have or their parents have or um, the Bible has. Um, They may not make a team for the first time. I think there's just a lot more risk of public failure um, or not meeting the mark in junior high. And so, um, yeah, though a lot of our girls are really compassionate when other people um, don't make teams or um, don't get the grades and um, they all feel a similar pressure, I think there's some grace um, that they have amongst each other. But um, when there's a moral failure or just a public showing of sin, um, I think it's really important that those students have a proper view of themselves to realize um, I'm just as sinful as this person who did this thing that I think I would never do. Um, But just realizing that they're all pursuing um, acceptance and love and value. Mm. Um, It just may look differently for different girls. Um, So that's kind of where I see it. And um, I don't know what I think is essential for navigating it in a way that um, doesn't condemn others, doesn't condemn themselves. Um, But yeah. That's good. Thanks, Lisa. Mm -hmm. Here, Rebecca, um, how about senior high girls? Yeah, along similar lines of, of Lucy Kate, I think that one of the most kind of common places where we see this is when there's been a moral failure on the part of a student, whether that's they got caught drinking at a party, they you know, were sending inappropriate pictures or receiving inappropriate pictures, or maybe they were just gossiping in the lunchroom. And as a result of that, like Cameron mentioned, they feel like not just they have failed, but that they are failures, that they are now worthless and there's really not a lot of hope for them. And so instead of that being an opportunity for them to feel like that's their identity now and their worth um, is tied to their performance, I always want to encourage students to see it as an opportunity to be like the tax collector and go before God and, you know, beat their chest and ask that God would be merciful to them, a sinner, um, and recognizing that God loves sinners and he's the very, they're the very people that he came to save. So seeing moral failures as an opportunity for repentance is, I think, key. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's really good. And Tucker, let's talk about adolescent guys, you know, how we see it play out with them. Yeah, you know, adolescent guys are an interesting enigma and if you are a parent of adolescent boys you don't need me to tell you that um it's interesting i think vocally where we see this most is on the arrogance side of that pendulum on the pharisaical side that says thank you lord that i'm not like that publican or that tax collector over there of course there are many many sensitive boys who especially you know have easily pricked consciences who fall uh, definitely on the shame side but What we see a lot is um, boys trying to, in effect, justify themselves by uh, stepping on some of their peers, to be perfectly frank. Sometimes it's easy uh, for boys to kind of move themselves up a bell curve of social acceptance by pushing somebody else backwards on that bell curve. So sometimes, you know, there can can be a tendency to to sort of... um, to justify your own self. And that's that ultimately is, is at the core of, of many of these like social conflicts, especially between boys. Hmm. Yeah, I see it a fair amount, particularly with Christian kids, um, 
when it comes to like partying and standards, you know, with with um, you know sex or hooking up, what it may be, that a lot of times with um, with kids who are not partying, they're not sleeping around, they have this sense of arrogance where they see themselves as holier than thou, and there's a real danger of them falling into self righteousness and that sin, um, which you see Jesus in Luke 18 is really going after. And then on the other hand, um, kids, because they have crossed lines that they didn't expect to, that because of shame, they either withdraw or they double down into their sin. I think you see that particularly with, uh, like with pornography, mm-hmm. that um, you know, they go to pornography out of shame, thinking it'll make them feel good, and then they engage it and it actually makes them feel more ashamed. So they have a greater amount of shame and the temptation to go back is even bigger. And so there, it's just this real vicious cycle um, that takes on a, a, a addictive, it can, it can take on an addictive dynamic. And so that's, that's a place where I see it quite amount. Or, or, you know, maybe it can be like with, with girls, what I've seen historically is, you know, a girl crosses a line um, sexually that, and they feel like they're, for lack of a better term, like they're a slut and, or they're called that or whatnot. And so that creates shame. And so to see that shame, they just go back to the same behavior and it's a cycle in that way. And so, um, so yeah, Can I yeah, please, please, Lucy. I remember when I was in early college, um, which, you know, not, not many of your students are there yet, but going to this uh, event with a Christian organization and um, there was a talk given that basically, you know, put so much pressure on if you're not a virgin until you're married, if you cross these lines, you know, you're not going to get, like, a partner that is a godly person, a Christian, like, just all of these different messages. And so, you know, for the vast majority of students in the room, who had crossed those lines, there was such a sense of hopelessness or um, shame, all of those things about um, just their worth and values. So I think Christians, even though well-meaning um, and encouraging kids towards abundant life in this category with dating and sex and all of that, um, I think a lot of the time it can send a reverse message that makes um, the shame and everything a lot worse. Yeah, and that's, what, and that's the danger of ministry that is rooted in the law. Mm-hmm without grace because that's what the law that what you're describing is law-based ministry and the rules are good like though god gave us rules to lead us towards human flourishing and the rules are good because they we wouldn't know that we're sinners who need grace who need jesus day by day if we didn't have that and like we we have to this is why grace is so important because we all fail and we all fail and we know that God's grace is there for us, and we all succeed, mm-hmm. <laughs> and we need to know that we succeed because of God's grace, not because we're extra special. So, um, so let's talk about you know how we verbalize this, like into these different moments. Um, how do we communicate the gospel? And anyone, we don't have to go in, in terms of age. Whoever, whoever's feeling hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll as you know, a parent of young children, as many of you might be. Um, I think as early as, you know, 
El, or young elementary age, preschool even, we as parents start talking to our children about where their worth and value come from. Um, they are righteous as a gift from God. They are worthy as a gift from God. And so when these decisions or sins or successes or failures occur, you know, that is evident. They did succeed in some task or performance. They did fail in some task or performance. They did sin. They made a great decision. They made a poor decision. Um, those are concrete things, but the earlier we can start sharing and explaining to them the truth from God's word about where their worth comes from and who they are, they're, they're able to separate the decision or the performance and see, okay, even though, yes, I did succeed in this, that still does not tell me who I am and where my worth comes from. That, that alone comes from the righteousness of Jesus. And so um, if that's not something that people are doing at home, it's never too late to start. Um, but yeah. it's important for us to realize, too, that so many of our children are experiencing these successes and failures and decisions in a school context, many of which um, aren't sending the message about where their worth and value and righteousness comes from. And so um, that should be an encouragement and motivation to us to really start that at home and to ask our children, okay, what what has made you feel like a failure lately? What's made you feel really good? And using those as opportunities to share that truth at home because um, they might not be getting that message at school. Um, <laughs> my, I guess my advice or thoughts are just to reinforce when your child does fail that they're not worse after the failure than they were before the failure and having like a healthy view of themselves as a sinner, um, having that as a foundation is really important um, so that their sin doesn't surprise them. They know that their sin doesn't surprise God and also not being surprised by other people's sin. Um, and I think if your child falls more on the side of feeling very righteous, maybe a little arrogant, um, you know, when they talk about a student in their class or a student at school who made a moral fa failure or some other kind of failure, um, just kind of asking the question, you know, it sounds like that person is trying to attain blank. Maybe they're trying to attain um, acceptance or validation or whatever else and, you know, really turning the question around and saying, you know, what is it that you do to try to attain acceptance or validation? Um, how can you relate to that person, even if, you know, we're not going to do the thing that they did? Um, how can we uh, just understand where they're coming from, understand their heart, and sympathize with them rather than cast judgment on them being a human being? Um, yeah. That's really good. How about it, Mary Rebecca? Yeah. One of the first things that comes to mind is just the folly of comparison in all mm, of this. Good word. And how when we compare ourselves to others, we either come up feeling like a failure. Man, I'll never be as athletic as her. I'll never be as successful as her. I'll never have as many friends as he does. Or we feel arrogant because we think, man, at least I'm not doing what she does. Or at least I'm not riding the bench as much as this guy is. Mm -hmm. So I just think I would encourage a spirit of not looking to the right or to the left, but looking up and cultivating a grateful, humble heart that sees, you know, every good gift is purely of grace and that we did nothing to earn or deserve it. And to recognize that when we fail, 
that's also of the gracious hand of God, and it's an opportunity for us to recognize our need of Him, um, to turn to Him in repentance. And so just the, the freedom from comparison that can happen when we live under the gospel rather than the law. Yeah, I think I would just echo everything, especially like Lucy Kate and Rebecca said, in terms of cultivating just a very balanced view of who we are as, one, sinners who are, two, justified by the free gift of uh, Christ's righteousness. I think you're never going to hit that perfect balance, um, but just kind of cultivating a space where we're very aware of our own sinfulness in a humble yet not self-deprecating way, and at the same time very aware of what the Lord Jesus has done for us, that uh, our acceptance before God relies zero on our own abilities or works. Yeah, that's great. I, I think for myself, you know, in particular when it comes to success, my own kids, like one thing I like to say is I, I don't say I'm proud of you when they succeed. I say I'm so happy for you. The Lord has given you this gift, and the Lord enabled you to work hard and to succeed, you know? And so I, um, I'm trying, you know, I want to, I'm, I, I'm, I, I want them to know that I'm proud of them just because they're my own child, not because of their performance. And I'm trying to communicate like when they succeed, that like your success is a statement about the grace and the generosity of God in your life. And that's something to enjoy and be happy about and be grateful for and to not become arrogant over. So that's one thing I say, and then I think another thing too is like to say, you know, you're you're on your worst day, you're as bad as the righteousness of Jesus, and on your best day, you're as good as the righteousness of Jesus. <laughs> and and just to know that that's the that's the standard. I think Rebecca, you talked about our nature as sinners, and you see it in Luke 18 that the Pharisee is grading on the curb. He's like, hey, I'm really righteous because I'm not that tax collector. Well, the standard is God and His holiness. That's the standard. And, like, if you want to humble yourself real fast, you know, you start comparing yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you start comparing yourself to God and all his holiness. And that is going to, that any self-righteousness you have is going to collapse real fast. And so my point there is that, you know, your worth is a gift. If you're not a Christian, your, your worth as a, as a sacred being made in the image of God, that's a gift from God. You have worth. Um, because of that. And in terms of your worthiness to be in relationship with the Lord, if you are a believer, that's because you've been given the righteousness of Jesus because of the perfect life of Christ and because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and because of his grace towards you. And so I want I want righteousness to be the standard because the righteousness is only attainable as a gift through faith. And so that, that that's a concept I want to hammer to my kids um, is just, you know, who you are who you are by the grace of God because you have the righteousness of Jesus. So I hope this was helpful. And, um, and yeah, we'll move on to episode six. It's all about choices. <laughs> God bless. Mm-hmm.